Hey, welcome to church. Uh, my name's Brian. I'm the worship pastor here at New Hope. So serving in a little bit different capacity today, but I am so excited to talk about Jesus with y'all. Are you excited? <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus is, is just the best. Better than summer. <laughs> So another thing I love about summer around here is that we're going through series. We always kind of dive in deep into, into something. And this summer, we're in the book of Judges, which I never thought I'd be excited about. However, we are learning so much. I am learning so much about myself through these stories. And these stories are not isolated historic events. These stories are God's living word intended to document time and place and his providence and glory, but also to translate into our lives today. And that's exactly what we're gonna do today. I'm very, very pumped for that. Before we continue on though, I think it's always really important to look at where we've been. Some of you may have uh, missed the, the first couple weeks where this is week four in our series. So I thought I'd just catch us up. So the beginning of this series, we established this thing and understanding of, or at least an acknowledgement of the sin cycle. All right, the cycle that Israel is finding themselves in. And I don't know about you, but I can sometimes, if I'm not careful, get a little judgmental in my seat. Like, are you kidding me? They're doing this again. This is getting like boring uh, as, as part of a narrative at least. Uh, but it's important for us to understand the sin cycle. We're gonna dive into it a little bit deeper today um, because unfortunately, it's not just the Israelites that struggle with this, is it? <laughs> I think we struggle with it as well. I struggle with it as well because we're human and we need Jesus. The second thing that was set up second week is how we can uh, form idols in our lives. And we can, unfortunately, it might not look like a, a, you know, a graven image or something of a shrine, but we worship things that are counter to God's plan for our life and are enemies of our faith. And then last week, Justin did a phenomenal job talking through our first judges. So we got Othniel, remember him? If you were here, you remember that we talked about how he's like the poster child of a judge. Oh yes, that's what I would expect a judge to be. And then Ehud was a little bit different, wasn't he? He was kind of like the unlikely hero. He was left-handed, which is a funny detail to include, but God exemplified how he can use the unlikely in his plan, in his providence, in his kingdom. And there were all sorts of fun details in that story last week. Remember? <laughs> and we got more fun details this week. These stories are like second to none, so I absolutely love it. Um, and we're gonna jump into another story today about another judge that can show us so much about ourselves. But before we do, I want us to stop and consider this sin cycle again. Because if you agree with me, which hopefully you are aware and you know, um, we all suffer from the same cycle. We may not be Israelites, uh, but we are people of God. And we are also human and struggle with temptation and sin and oppression of sin. But we also experience, many of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal, personal savior, we experience deliverance from those sins. Um, so I'm gonna offer up to you like a, a sin cycle 2.0. And there's gonna be something added in there that may be interesting to you. It's just a big arrow, all right? It's a big arrow that denotes kind of an interesting moment in the phases of this cycle. It's right after, you know, like, or maybe even during this season of like peace, rest. Ah, oh, thank you, Lord. And it's a turning point at which we, or the Israelites, jump back into this sin pattern. Anybody, anybody want to guess what I put in that arrow before it comes up? What causes us to fall back into the sin cycle? 
Man, we made a laundry list at first service. I will offer this word to you. It is not all encompassing, but I do believe for at least for what we're talking about this morning, it offers a good perspective of our faith sometimes. And that is it becomes lazy, <laughs> laziness, ill pursuit. We forget who is our king and who is our God. And we, and we jump, at least we are vulnerable to sin nature again. And so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about sin cycle. We're going to be talking about faith today. So without further ado, I would love to pray for us and acknowledge the holy moment that we enter into as we read God's word. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you for this moment that we have today as your people to examine your word and to look to your truth for guidance and also just a guide to who you are as it reveals your heart and reveals who we are as your people. So would you humble us today? Would you help us be honest with ourselves You don't desire shame in our life, but you desire repentance and turning from those things that oppress us and keep us from your will. So bless us, keep us and help us. We pray these things in your name, amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, pull it out. We're gonna be in chapter four of Judges. We will also have scripture up on the screen for you, but let's get into it. Judges four, verses one through three. And the people of Israel again, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heresheth, Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Here we go again. Here we go again on my own. Right? These Israelites are thinking they can do things without God. They're under oppression. They're in the cycle. Brandon put it best, I think. It's this like crazy merry-go-round. Merry-go-rounds for my family are a little bit different. Um, we can't handle more than four seconds of like disorienting uh, <laughs> situations. And so we went to Disneyland last year and uh, that merry-go-round became like the town of horror. We're like, oh my gosh, we gotta get a garbage can, you know? <laughs> so just like that, man, the cycle of sin is just nauseating. And it's like, are you kidding me? So a couple of details. We could seriously spend all morning on this passage, um, but there's a couple nuggets that we can take out of here. The first is that they're under the oppression of a king, a power. Now, what's interesting is that Jabin is king of Canaan. And that's interesting because if you look back in chapter one, this dude named Manasseh was called to eliminate Canaan. But what did he do? He allowed inhabitants to still roam around. If he would have done what God called him to do and he was obedient to the T, then we wouldn't even be dealing with this situation. These words never would have written themselves in time. But here we are, under oppression, People tell me after I speak, it's, uh, it's funny. They're like, oh, you're the pastor that tells all the stories. I love stories. Um, and it just so happens that a lot of my stories, because a lot of my time, have to do with projects around the house. Um, I love uh, doing things around the house and making things better and, you know, renovating. And uh, I'm just too busy. Anyway, uh, I get really bored really easy. But uh, a while ago, a couple years ago, my wife and I were talking and we're like, hey, we want to figure out how to create memories with our kids. And so at the time we had a sailboat, wasn't really conducive for little kids. And so I sold it and we bought a camping trailer. 
Exciting, right? It was a 1988, wrap your mind around this, a 1988 Fleetwood Prowler. This baby right here. Woo! Yes, I got some claps over here. When I roll into campgrounds, we turn heads probably for the good. I don't know. I don't care. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> so we get this thing. We're so, we're so happy. Like, look at our smiling faces. We're engaged. We're like, oh, yay, it's vintage. Woo! And I'm sure you see where this is going because I'm being a little bit sarcastic. <laughs> but, um, you know, we were going to do some superficial stuff like, oh, let's get some paint on there, maybe some new curtains. Maybe I'll build a bed. You know, I don't know. The sky's the limit, but we were excited. Well, at that time and in that season, I was also, I, just, I had just started my master's degree program. And so I was slammed for time. And so it became this like, are you going to work on the trailer? I don't know. Anyway, so one night I finally get out there. I'm super excited. I get all my demo gear, you know, and I've got my tool belt and I go out there and I'm looking, I'm like, that cabinet needs to go. And so I go over and I look down and I notice that there's a piece of duct tape on the wall. I was like, oh, okay, uh, that's kind of weird. And I like slowly pull it off and it's black on the back. And it's 11 p.m., so I'm a little delirious. I'm like, that's ah, all right. I was like, <laughs> and so I go and I take my five-pound sledge to take this cabinet down, and I hit it. And do you know what happened? The whole ceiling fell on top of me. Look at this. So bad. I had this little headlamp on. I was out there. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> you know. And you never know what you're gonna get when you get these old trailers. So I don't blame my friend for selling it to me. It, it's in. <laughs> It's in great shape otherwise, right? And so I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I slowly start making this plan. And I think on this for weeks, like, man, should we just get rid of it? I don't know. I don't even know if I have the skill to do this. So slowly and surely, I start building it back. You know, I frame it out, reroute wires. I know where all the wires are now. So I like put in some cool lights. Um, And I start to think about putting panels back up. But do you think I stopped there? Thank you. A strong no. No, you didn't. (laughs) Remember what was on that tape? Well, it was all over the wood too. Rotten, moldy, nasty frame. And I know, I'm not like super knowledgeable in construction. However, I know that mold just doesn't go away. So I rented this really cool thing called an ozonator. Has anybody ever run one of those? They are crazy, like scary. You turn them on, it's like a bomb. You get out of there. Uh, Basically, it kills everything in its path. You put it in a closed space, it will kill everything that crawls, everything that grows. And so like, we literally had like bugs everywhere. I had no idea about it. I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I did that. You know? <laughs> but what happened is it killed the spores of the mold. And then, then I cleaned it up. Then I reframed it. Then I put panels on. But do you think I stopped there? No. Where the heck did all that water come from, right? So then I had to get on the roof and oh my gosh, hundreds of holes, hundreds. I was like, oh, there's one. I was, <laughs> I was mostly doing the work at night. And one day I just happened to go in there and there was like daylight coming through holes. I'm like, oh my gosh, there they are. You know? And so I run up on top and I'm like, you know, patch, patch, patch. And then all of a sudden I just see all of the, oh my gosh. So after about a quarter inch of liquid rubber, we're good to go. <laughs> and now it looks like this. Woo. Yeah. That's the roof. Thank you. Thank you. Don't be excited for me. Be excited for the trailer. Uh, And then the interior looks like this. Yeah, look at that. Oh, I just noticed I'm in the mirror right there. That's funny. So here's my question to you. Why do you think I went to such extreme lengths 
to fix this trailer? Why did I, why did I literally spend weeks eliminating that mold? You're looking at two reasons right there. Mold is nasty. Not only would it make us sick breathing that air in there, but here's the thing. Hundreds of hours, hundreds of dollars of materials. Oh, it looks so nice. Five years from now, the duct tape's black again. Like, oh no, right? And that's exactly what we're dealing with here. (laughs) They didn't take care of the mold. They didn't take care of the rot. They didn't do what they knew what they needed to do and they just moved on. And what do you know? The rot is back and it is oppressive and it is powerful and they are stuck in a season, a phase, a cycle. It would have been really easy for me to be lazy. Oh boy, let's put some plywood up, paint it, be great, right? And you know what? If you do that, more power to you because that just means you're relaxed (laughs) and you can move on. Uh, But I could have easily just patched it. I could have easily just painted it out of sight, out of mind until it's inside again. But I knew that if that rock came back, it would destroy. And just like James 1.15 tells us, sin full grown leads to death. And literally for the Israelites, it is killing them, oppressing them them, keeping them from the, live, the living lifeblood of, of their God. Other things to consider here, this passage is, all of these are so packed full. Um, we see death and oppression from Sisera. So Sisera is kind of like King's hammer, right? He's the go guy. He's the commander of this super powerful army. A fun fact about Canaan at this time is that they were experiencing, uh, uh, excelling in an iron age. And so we see a really minute detail, a very important detail to their fleet. What is it? Iron chariots, 900 iron chariots, mind you. I mean, this army could melt through men like butter, just decimation. Armies that are far outnumbering 900. It's like the most advanced weaponry at their time. You just kind of fill in the blanks for what you might see and think is cool these days. So this is a weapon of, of mass destruction. But I don't think that was the most powerful weapon they had. Any guesses on what you think the most powerful weapon is? I heard it. Fear. Fear. My family and I love stories. I've said that like four times today. And my kids are obsessed with like old Disney stories. One of our favorites is A Bug's Life. <laughs> And we have these little ants that are so, you know, adorable and meek and, oh, we'll do whatever you want. And they're oppressed by these crickets. But they soon realize that the only thing, the only power that they have over them is fear. I love that story because they finally realize how powerful they are. Now, we make everything spiritual in our house. So it's like, oh, you know, like Jesus in our hearts. And I'm sure our kids are like, what? (laughs) But the seed is there. Anyway, so... This, this fear is what is keeping them oppressed, this fear of destruction, pain, dismemberment maybe. Maybe they're scared that these soldiers are gonna come after their families. They're just oppressed. And so I asked you this morning, and I've already done this in the mirror this morning with myself, what are you fearful of? 
Remember I said, this isn't just a story. It's an illustration of our hearts. It's an illustration of our faith journey and things that get in our way of trusting and following our God, the God, same God. So what are you fearful of? Are you fearful of financial destruction? The unknown of the future, security? Are you fearful of your friends, your family, your spouse leaving you? Are you fearful of loneliness? Are you fearful of fear, failure, death? There's a lot of things to be afraid of in this life. It's a powerful weapon. And let's just call it as it is. This weapon is the best weapon that Satan has on God's people. It's controlled me. I'm sure it's controlled you at some point. It's oppressed you severely. And it does to us what that water and holes in time did to my trailer. It rots away our faith until we buckle. We got to get it in the light. We have the benefit of a deliverer, a rescuer, a ruler that lives today. You know who he is? Say his name. Jesus. Jesus. Amen. We have the benefit of leaning on Jesus, of confessing and relying upon him. But we got to do it. We got to act. We got to let our fear of the Lord be greater than the fear here on earth. A couple more details. We see that they are oppressed cruelly and severely for 20 years. Now, if you look at this linearly through what we've already covered in Judges, the oppression time is getting longer and longer. And that can mean a couple of things. One, could mean that Israel's stubborn, forgetful. Um, I think that we need to acknowledge the power of shame and isolation and sin. Justin mentioned this last week, but when we live in darkness and when our shameful disobedience from God lives in darkness, we are doomed. He didn't design us, us, the church, to live in isolation, to live in fear of what other people might say about us. And this gets me emotional because I've seen so many people Sometimes myself feel like I can't reach out. I can't be honest. I can't confess and, and be sharpened by my brother and sister in Christ. And that is a lie. It's a lie. We need each other. And you'll see that pronounced in this. So my encouragement to you today, even though you're facing 900 chariots of iron, whatever the oppression, whatever the fear may be, get it out. Get it out in the open. Get light on it. Get people around you. We will have people at the end of the service to pray over you. I will pray over you. Let's get over it because Jesus is waiting and he wants you to live free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love these stories. <laughs> Faith is a, so man, I keep screwing this up because it's all Fs. Okay, fear. Fear is a killer of faith. That would be really confusing. Fear is a, a a killer of faith, a faith killer, but fear of the Lord is a faith builder. Fear is a faith killer, but fear of the Lord is a faith builder. Let's keep moving on in this passage. Judges 4, verses 4 through 5. Now Deborah, 
a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. All right, here's our judge. Let's, let's get to know Deb a little bit, all right? So she is our fourth judge, and you may be doing the math like, okay, Othniel, Ehud, what? Well, we, we uh, skipped over one last week, and that was on purpose. It's okay. He's a minor judge. His name is Shamgar. And I, I do want to mention, it's kind of funny how it's written. It says that Shamgar took out 600 Philistines with an ox goad, which is basically like a fancy staff with a point. 600 men by himself. And all it says is like honorable mention. It's like, oh, uh, he also saved Israel. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Whew. I'm sure he's like, what? Okay, okay, God. Anyway, so he's a judge, or she's a judge, fourth judge. She's also called a prophetess. There's only a few women in the scriptures that are given this title. An honorable mention in this area is Miriam, sister of Moses and Aaron. And characteristics of these women are worshiper, deliverer, voice beast of God. Another identifier is that she is called mother of Israel, ironically by herself in a song that we see in chapter five. But mother of Israel, that's a beautiful image. And then the next is that uh, a lot of scholars call her the most distinguished judge. And it's not for reasons that you might expect. It's simply because she, in all of her judgment, judicially service to the nation of Israel, she looked to God for discernment and wisdom. She had a palm, for goodness sakes. <laughs> she sat under her own tree and people came for her judgments. Incredible woman of faith, incredible woman of service. And you know, Justin said this last week, and I am quoting him, it's likely that God will use the unlikely, people that we don't expect, people that God knows will be powerful, and pack a punch, and kind of turn everything that we expect on its head. Because when we expect things, we think we know God. Again, sin cycle. The last thing that I want to note is that uh, her name means something incredible. I, I kind of wish I would have grown up in a culture like this, and I know that they still exist in the world today, but where a name means something, right? And maybe you have a name in this room where it's like, oh, my name means something, I live to it. Um, but her name is authentic to who she is, and her name in the original language means be. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Like buzzing bee, right? A little cute honeybee. Well, let me tell you why I think this rings true. And bear with me for some statistics real quick. Bee wax is one of the most heat resilient waxes in the natural world. It can withstand heats of 140 degrees Fahrenheit before it starts to shift and, and melt. Now, what's more incredible about the bee is that at that point, they are so industrious, they cluster together and they flap their wings as fast as they can, about 190 flaps per second and they cool the wax down so it doesn't melt. That is, that is wild, industrious. They're also incredibly discerning. They have two to 300 platelets all over their body, the way they were constructed, and these tell the bee which plants not just have the best pollen for their honey, but which plants to pollinate to keep the ecosystem around them alive. Incredibly discerning. The last little fact is that and this is my favorite. Their honey's sweet, right? Oh my gosh, I love honey so much. Honey is a divisive thing in our family, I don't know why, but I love honey, and so all the honey for me. 
And Deborah is all of these things. She's authentically her name. She's living true to who God created her to be and who God calls her. She's industrious. She's discerning. She is sweet to the Lord's will. And I guess I'll add this. She packs a sting. And we're gonna see that right now. Let's read. Verse six. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going, nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went up with him. All right, we have another character. Exciting. We have another character introduced into this narrative. Another angle in which, hold on, not only is this judge distinguished, but now we have a story that's including two people in the equation. What God is doing here is he's building the dream team. (laughs) He's building a team that is going to carry out his work and commission. I was a youth pastor for almost a decade. I love youth ministry, but what I loved more was being in the community. So back in Oregon City, when I was serving as a youth pastor, I sought an opportunity to coach the swim team. That was part of my upbringing. I was a competitive swimmer, thought I could add to the program. Well, I didn't think I was qualified, but all of a sudden they had no leadership. And so I was like, perfect. (laughs) So I got in there, I started coaching and I started falling in love with uh, this individual sport. You know, swimmers swim for their times and you know, PRs and all that. But I fell in love with the team aspect of, wow, this kid's really good at this event. I'm gonna put him here. And she's really good at this stroke. So I'm gonna put her in this. And then we start to add up points. And it's like, oh man, it's so great that we're working together, right? Well, it got really exciting about two years in because Oregon City just so happened to have a phenomenal club team that was in, at the same pool, a lot like Bend. And... They were, uh, they were growing the program, and these four gentlemen, all the same grade, came in as freshmen, my second year coaching, and phenomenal guys, like hardworking. They were the types that would like ride their bikes to practice just for the extra exercise. I'm like, you guys have got to be kidding me. <laughs> You're 14, come on. Uh, but excelling, excelling, excelling. And they were also someone on the club team. Well, fast forward four years, they're seniors. And by the way, every single year they were going to state, they were placing, taking first place, phenomenal swimmers through and through. But it wasn't until their final, final year that we realized these guys are really good at different events. Now, one of my favorite events is the 200 medley relay. For those of you that don't know swimming events, basically it is every single stroke uh, by 50. So each swimmer gets to swim their specialized stroke. And it's phenomenal to watch these guys swim together in their specialty. Fast forward to the end of the year, we're at state. And this first fact actually isn't my favorite fact, but four guys. We took four guys to state, 6A, and we, won- and we got second place. 
I say we won because we were second to a private school that gets donorship. <laughs> anyway, that's besides the point. <laughs> uh, but four guys, and they obliterated the state record in the medley relay. And it was so fun to watch them behind the block cheering because you could see it in their eyes like, man, I can't do butterfly. You gotta do the, but come on, do the butterfly. I, I'm, a, I'm a freestyler, you know? I'm like, I can't do breaststroke. I know I can do breaststroke, but I can't do backstroke. You know, like they were just like this so knitly woven together team and man, did they blow the competition out of the water. They won. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. And the reason I think I love teamwork so much is because I love the church. I've been a pastor for 10 years. Well, longer than that, but <laughs> ordained for 10 years. And even growing up, I love the church because God calls these random people together, different beliefs, different standards, different views on things. And he calls us to be unified in him and to have faith in him. And our individual plan works for a greater plan. And that's exactly what we see working here. That's why these stories are not just stories. They're us. If we will only listen and let them refine us. God's up to something here. Barak, his name means lightning, and we're gonna see how that plays into it in just a moment. He's the commander of the Nephthalites, and he is a courageous guy. Can you imagine this scene? It's been 20 years. This army, this fear is building and building, and he goes, and he gathers these members of other, other places together as one. Now, there is a part of this passage that's interesting and it's debated, and I'm sure you saw it. You may already know it, but it's in verse nine, and I do wanna spend a quick moment explaining this through and just kind of discussing it. And so the, the nuance of this passage and the differing views uh, are held in the translation of the original text because Pastor Brandon always talks about this. The original text does not translate well into English, unfortunately, all the time. And so there's some nuance, some translation. So... This morning we've been reading in the ESV, but just to see the difference in language, we're going to use three different translations. The first is NIV, and you'll see right off the bat, the differing word is this, but because, because, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. Deborah talking to Barak. This sounds like a punishment because you're not willing to go without me and have faith, you know, a doubting situation, uh, the glory is not going to go to you. Okay. It's pessimistic, but okay. <laughs> Another alternate view is in the ESV, and we already read it, but it says, nonetheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. And then the last, just to give it balance, NASB, nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. Okay. The verdict? I don't know. <laughs> you choose. I think there's arguments on both sides. I'm gonna offer up what I think just based off of the scriptures in my study. Barak is no doubt asking for confirmation in this moment. Now, whether you wanna call that doubting of faith in God, I don't know. Um, but he's saying, messenger of God, I wanna make sure that this message is of God and there's confidence behind it. You come with me. And if you don't go, Maybe it's not of God. That's, that's kind of how I read it. Now, what's interesting is that what does he do? What does he eventually do? He goes. So can we really judge him based off of foreknowledge of that, that he will choose to go? No, 
This man has faith. And he's chosen to listen to God's call in his life. You know, his character is incredible in this situation. For the length of time that it, it would have been really easy to get a little bit sloppy as a commander in the army, like, man, well, there's no chance. We're just gonna, you know. <laughs> or like facing warfare that is far beyond any, I mean, like he, he went into this knowing just the fact that he was entertaining it. Okay, God's gonna have to be involved in this. Otherwise we are flattened. Wouldn't it be incredible if we lived our lives this way? Now, hopefully you're not facing 900 chariots, okay? But we already talked about oppression. We talked about the things that keep us from following God. And those things have power, no doubt. But what if we believe that God was greater, truly believe, not just here, but with our feet, our hands, our finances, our life decisions? Man, God would be glorified in a wild way. And he would win because that's what he does. Amen? amen. I said amen? amen. All right, good. <laughs> so we've established that fear is a faith killer, but here's the deal. Pride is a faith disease as well. It would have been very tempting for Barak to be like, ah, the glory's not going to me. I don't, I don't want to do this. Again, can you imagine if we acted not out of pride, like, oh, I want recognition for this, or I at least want to feel the satisfaction of the completion of it? Man, if we, if we could follow God, even if our lives are torturous, and we never get to see God's glory on this side of heaven, that faith would be unstoppable. It'd be really cool to see. Pride is a faith disease, but humbly following God is a faith grower. Okay, this next section, what do I like? Stories. I like stories. <laughs> Thank you. I love stories that are good with a good subplot, like a good movie, you know, like, oh, well, that was a random thing. And then later you're like, oh my gosh, it's coming together, you know? So that's what we're gonna see right here. And we're gonna put that in a pocket and we're gonna come back to it. But here's the deal. Verse 11 to 13. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Heresheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. All right, another character, subplot. This guy named Heber. His name literally means crossed over. And it's also from the same root for Hebrew, which means crossing over. It's pretty cool how all this is working and how God has uh, planned all of this. And it's all working together. Crossing over from the Kenites to the Israelites, geographic, geographically dwelling with them. And then we see something interesting here. And I, I, I've read over this for years, never thinking about this. But it says, when Cicero was told, who told him? This guy. All sources point to the fact that this guy, Heber, told Cicero, now is he on, is he on his side? No, he's part of the plan. Hey, go down there, they're there. He was an integral part of the plan. He was the fuse that lit this insane bomb and we're gonna see it right now. Here we go, verse 14. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak, Barak, 
struggle with that name. Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. <laughs> and Barak pursued the chariots and the army, army to Harasheth Agoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. This is a big scene. This is like 40 minutes in an action film, okay? So we're gonna unpack this a little bit. But the first thing that we see is that Barak, lightning, gets up and he does what? He goes. Man, this, this imagery would be so insane. In fact, it's so insane, I kind of want to frame it for us a bit. So Mount Tabor is a landmark that still exists today in the Holy Land. And uh, I did a little bit of research and happenstantially, geographically, it's very similar to Black Butte. For real, it's the same height, about the same breadth. And uh, so just humor me for a second. Just think about 10,000 men coming down from Black Butte into the horse pasture at Black Butte Ranch, okay? <laughs> this is the Valley of Megiddo, all right, uh, at the horse ranch. So they're down there and they come upon this man that was told to go this way, tipped off, and they're coming, and it's just like, oh, here it comes. But have you ever stood in a field when there's nothing going on? It's just quiet. Maybe you hear some birds. This would be the most freaky scene ever. You know, in action films, there's like music, like, whoa, warrior, ah! I'm sure there were some, a lot of warrior things going on. But like, there's no fancy about this. God is at work, he's ahead of them, and it's like, here it comes. But we know from chapter five, in verse 21, specifically, that uh, there was an element that God helped out with. When they were coming down this mountain, it was torrentially raining. And so you get into that horse pasture, and the creek or the river swells, and there is a couple feet of mud. What now, Sisera? <laughs> What happens to chariots in the mud? They stick. Oh, yes. Now it is equal. 10,000 verse 900. Here we go. <laughs> and what's wild, again, going with the geography, just to kind of put this in the frame of our mind, this battle's going on in the horse pasture. And then it says they go all the way, they pursue them all the way to Harasheth Hagoyim. In Central Oregon terms, that means that they, by the sword, would have pursued these men all the way to Tumalo. Are you serious? Like, just, like, on foot. I couldn't even walk that. I couldn't even, like, oh my gosh, it's so tired. The reason I'm bringing this up is not for you to make fun of my physical fitness. It's, it's because of the resolve, the pursuit, quite the difference between the first chapter, the permittance of rot, the permittance of oppression, and this moment to take it. They followed God 100%. Again, can you imagine what our faith would be like? What our, our community would be like? What our world would be like if we were people of God that followed with this kind of intensity? No permittance of any toxicity. Get it out. Amazing. It continues 
We can just stop. Oh, yay, the story's over. They well, yay. <laughs> but no, it continues, and you're ready for this. Here we go, verse 17. But Sisera fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Ah, remember the subplot? Here we go. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Continuing on, Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug and said to her, please, and he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent and if any man comes and asks you, is there anyone here? Say no. Okay, final character. We're building the plot, right? It's coming back and what's she gonna do, right? And so we have this couple that is committed, has crossed over and is a part of God's plan. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preface this next part. One, it's crazy gory. Two, um, she does everything wrong in this. It was not proper in the culture or the time for a woman to invite another man into a tent, I think that the reasons are obvious. Um, also, in this exchange, he was not doing the proper thing by asking for water. A guest was given what they were given and they received it. Now, what's funny about this is that Jael covers him with a rug and gives him a, like a, basically a drink of warm milk. This is still a custom today to help children kind of soothe to go to sleep. And what does she do? She covers him with a blankie. And so when he asks, hey, if anybody asks if there's a man in here, say no. She's like, all right, there isn't a man in here. There's a little boy in here. <laughs> and it leads us to this epic moment. Verse 21. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg. Who camps in here? He's been out with a tent lately. <laughs> I was reading this story and I literally went and held a tent peg. We're not talking about a little Coleman. These pegs were massive, like, oh my gosh. And it was common for the woman of the household, this was her duty to, to set up the tent. So she was skilled with these items. She took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down to the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Thus saith the Lord. Are you kidding me? I remember when I first heard this story, I was young and I was like, oh my gosh. You know, it's like, what is happening? <laughs> Details matter, right? Jael was glorified in this moment and she again, like Justin said, was unlikely, but God used her. Deborah, Barak, Jael, the dream team. This is good news for us because when I look in the mirror, I don't see a warrior. I don't see a, a ruler. Oftentimes, I think I identify most with her because I feel like sometimes I'm just doing things wrong. But God glorifies himself in this story and through us because he's like, it, I am in control. Can you figure this out, people? Can we cut the cycle? <laughs> just trust me and let's do this. Let's finish this passage up. Verse 22, and behold, Barak was pursuing Sisera. Jael went out to meet him and said to him, come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. Brutal. 
So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. What I love about this passage, this, this finishing scene, is that both divine power and control is mentioned in 23, God subdued, and God allows his people to be a part of his plan and his promise and his kingdom. Kingdom work. The last thing that I want to mention about this story, and it's one of my favorite parts, is actually just in the first verse of chapter five, right after this finishes. What does Deborah and Barak do once they win? They sang. They sang. They worshiped God. And it brings us back to the beginning of what we were talking about today. Are you singing for God? Are you turning from your oppressor and saying, no more, Jesus, save me? And in that victory, are you singing to God and then living in that victory, singing to God and worshiping? It doesn't need to be worship music. It doesn't need to be church. It needs to be your life. Victory in Jesus lived out in the way you treat others and the way that you worship God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. The worship team's gonna come out and we're gonna sing about just this fact, that we need nothing else than Jesus Christ. God is in control whether we like it or not. And it's a good thing that he is in control because he is a good God. Do you believe that? Would you stand with me? <clears throat> now we know now on this side of Christ coming and, and beating death and being our victor and, and being our deliverer that we have rescue in him. But some in this room may not know Jesus as their personal savior. They may not live their life for him. So I wanna give you an opportunity if that's you this morning to proclaim to Jesus that you want him in your life that you believe in your heart that he is God and that you confess with your mouth. That he is Lord in your life. Would you bow with me? Lord, we're so thankful that we can come to you. No matter what the oppression, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the sin, no matter how deep we are in this cycle of sin, no matter how long it's been, you pursue us every day and and you desire for us to pursue you because you want the best for us. If there are any in this room this morning that have never confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you just to lift your hand right now. I want you to tell Jesus, between you and him, I want you to tell Jesus, I want you today. I wanna to be done with this oppression. I wanna be done with my life without you because you are my victor. Awesome. Jesus, we confess our sin to you. We are thankful that you are faithful to forgive and to heal and to save. Praise you, Jesus. And there might be some in this room that are experiencing this oppression. And Lord, we ask that you would lift that oppression from their life. We confess our sin to you. And we need you to, to forgive us so that we can live right with you. Help us, Lord. 
And as we proclaim your name through song, as we worship you and say, nothing else will do, would you fill our hearts with your spirit? We love you. We thank you for your love. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.